0: This is Women's Australian Rules Football.
1: I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This week, not on RSN and Carnival, due to their coverage of the Magic Millions over the next couple of weeks. That means we'll be returning to digital radio in Melbourne on Wednesday, August 12th. And therefore, next week's show you'll also have to download as well from either Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app, or at warfradio.com. Or also via Deezer where we're now available again next week's show will also be available at the earlier time of 3pm in the afternoon coming up on this week's show we're going to be chatting with a superstar of South Australian women's footy who's recently announced her retirement Courtney Cramey but first the lightest women's footy news some very brief news for this week in the AFLW. We begin with the sign and trade period, which will be kicking off next Monday. And two Alexandria managed footballers have been linked to new homes. First of all, Sarah Hosking, the twin of Jess Hosking, both playing at Carlton, while Sarah looks headed for Richmond, according to Daniel Cherney of The Age. Another Alexandria managed footballer, Elise O'Day, who's currently under a two-year contract with Melbourne, appears to have requested a trade to Carlton. A possible three-way swap may be on the cards, considering Richmond have a first round priority pick that they must trade in exchange for an established player. A number of other Melbourne footballers have also been linked to new clubs, according to Daniel Journey of the Age. They are Maddie Gurren also to Carlton, Harriet Cordner to either Richmond or the Western Bulldogs, Alicia Newman to Collingwood, and Bianca Jacobson to St. Kilda. While the West Coast Eagles are looking to sign Western Bulldogs, Irish footballer Ashling McCarthy. At North Melbourne, the departures continue from their coaching staff. A third member now gone with Lauren Moorcroft announcing her resignation as an AFLW assistant coach with the Roos. And that's the latest women's footy news.
0: Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks. Because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football. If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile.
1: Sweet Kicks football. And now our featured guest on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast this week, Began her career with the original Sturt women's team in the SAWFL that led to a premiership and then three more premierships when they became Morfordville Park. She would go on to captain her state. She'd win two premierships with the Adelaide Crows in the AFLW. She is a Sturt double blues fan through and through and also has a bit of a crush on Tony Modra. It is great to have <laughs> on the line the recently retired Courtney Cramey. Courtney, how are you?
0: Um, well thanks Peter, thank you for the introduction Don't know about the Modra crush but we'll go with it
1: Well we saw that through the Adelaide Football Club website, so so go on, talk about following, as a kid, following Tony Modra when he was running around in the 90s in the AFL
0: Oh look, he, he was a pretty boy and he was the talk of the town in the 90s in Adelaide um, obviously taking those hangers um, that he did down at Footy Park for the Crows um, so I grew up watching Tony Modra and and wanted to be him. um, Me and my brother set up the trampoline in the backyard and and always took uh, what we would call modras, so big hangers off the trampoline and off each other. So yeah, I I really did admire him growing up as a a kid.
1: So let's talk about your childhood. I believe your first taste of footy was playing school football.
0: Yeah, um, so I went to Highgate Primary School um, just in the eastern suburbs of Adelaide and Um, played with the boys growing up throughout primary school um, which was fantastic no one ever wanted to tackle the girl in the footy team so got a lot of it um, until coming off the the footy field um, of a Saturday morning and I could hear the other boys talking to their parents going why is a girl playing in that footy team um, and then realised that as I was growing up, it wasn't wasn't the norm for girls to be playing footy, given I was the only girl out there in the, in the competition throughout primary school days. So, um, look, I continued um, playing footy throughout high school as much as I could, um, but then got told there wasn't really a, a comp for girls at that point in time. So we had probably in about year nine um, through high school, my High I had a nine-a-side girls competition, um, which we played a, a carnival-type day, Um, And that was about it, probably around term two in the winter season. So, yeah, there wasn't much around um, in terms of school footy back in the day.
1: Do you remember the news being broken to you that you had to stop playing football because simply there is no football for girls as it was back then?
0: Um, Not specifically, but, um, you know, fond memories of of knowing that I wasn't able to do it anymore, Um, you know, which was hard. I, I always grew up with a footy in my hand and, in a footy family, so we would spend most weekends um, up at the Glenunga Footy Club with my my dad being involved up there, and um, also up at Old Collegians Footy Club with my brother playing up there. And you know, every quarter you'd go out and have a kick, um, and while you're watching the game, and that's just that was just part of me. So to not be able to play it anymore was was pretty tough. But I got stuck into basketball and other sports, and that kept me busy as well.
1: Let's talk about that switch to basketball. It seems to be common for a lot of uh, women from the 90s who were told they had to stop playing football and switch to that. Of course, the most famous one being your uh, Adelaide Crows uh, Premiership Co-captain in Erin Phillips. Um, what was the switch like to playing another sport? How much did you enjoy it compared to your passion for football?
0: Yeah, I suppose I started basketball at a young age um, here with the, the North Flames Basketball Club, um, the district competition here. and. My claim to fame with basketball is I actually played against Erin Phillips when she played for the West Adelaide Bearcats. Um, I remember that, but she doesn't, but that's okay. She's had a, a, lot, a lot more fame in her basketball career than I have. Um, but no, I, I played a, a lot of basketball as a junior um, when I was playing footy, so it was something that I was always involved in um, at, out at Norwood um, and during some memories of basketball games. And, and people that I played alongside and my mum was heavily involved as a as a team manager of most teams I was involved in so um yeah I love the sport of basketball.
1: And there's a little piece of trivia the West Adelaide Bearcats uh, basketball team produced two AFLW captains Aaron Phillips at Adelaide and Kate Sheila at St Kilda. So we roll around to about 2004 you start to hit your late teens and all of a sudden Women's football, senior women's football comes around. At this time, uh, the Sturt women's side is born. This is the original Sturt women's team as a merger from the original West Adelaide side and the Goodwood Saints. Can you recall the conversation or seeing it out in the paper? What happened for you to have your attention focused to the SAWFL and Sturt? Yeah, so in, in 2004, I just finished high school
0: and um, it was actually my mum that that came to me and said, "What? Do, what am I going to do with myself?" I think she got a, a bit worried with um, the fact that I probably didn't have sport in my life um, throughout Year Twelve, and and had been heavily involved in lots of sporting teams throughout my childhood. So, yeah, following school, she just came to me and and said, "Why don't you give football a go?" And she had done some research on the internet that there was a, a South Australian Women's Football League at that point in time. I think it had been around for ten or fifteen odd years. Um, and Sturt Footy Club had had a women's team. Um, and I think there was about four teams in the competition at that point in time. So, yeah, I, w- I went out to a training, didn't know anyone. Um, and, yeah, was fortunate enough to get a, a premiership in that first year at the Sturt Footy Club. Um, but following that year, they, they moved on from those club facilities and, and merged down to a, a local footy club um, known as Morphill Park now.
1: What do you recall of playing in that first year, 2004? Because that year, South Australia also played host to the National Carnival for for women's football. Um, Some of the better players uh, that year for Sturt included uh, Sharon Ford, who won the best on ground in your uh, premiership performance, and also the Dutch Medal that year went to Lauren uh, Ebsray.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of um, lot of older girls running around, me as an 18-year-old 18, 18 um, playing in a women's competition. Um, it was like it was quite different back then um, compared to what it is now. I mean, now um, you have teams full of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Um, but, yeah, I was probably one of the youngest at that time and there were some fantastic um, players that had been playing in that women's league for many, many years Um and you know, had seen the league grow uh, year on year, so it was it was quite a privilege to play with those women um, that have had got this league up and running um, from what it was, and you know they're the they're the people that have paved the way for, for people like myself and um, to experience AFLW and and watch the growth over the years.
1: Can you talk about going through that hard decade after you've won the flag in 2004? I mean, everyone thinks of Morpherville Park now as a club full of success, but there was a 10-year period between when you were originally known as Sturt to the 2014 uh, Morville Park Premiership where you hadn't won the flag. The SAWFL was actually a rather small comp. At one stage, it got down to four teams. Can you talk about, I guess, the struggle for the club to win the flag and the struggle to improve SA women's football?
0: Yeah, it, it was... Um it was difficult times. I mean, there was there was always probably that one or two teams, um, cods that would enter a women's team year on year. Um, but when we first moved down to, to Mossville Park, it was actually a result of one of the girls' um, boyfriends at the time. He was playing down there in the in the local men's amateur league um, competition. So um, he mentioned it and um, got us down there. He ended up coaching us for a couple of years and. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a real challenge, we would um, get beaten by 100, 150 points um, most games for the first couple of years. But because uh, we would all come come from Sturt and um, st- stuck together, it was quite um, a different feeling down at Moffatville Park in terms of the club and and feeling like a bit more of a, a home home. Given that um, we, we weren't part of a um, a club that in Sturt Footy Club that was part of the Sandford at the top level, so. Yeah, it was a bit more of a, a homely feel down there, and um, yeah, it was challenging times. But it seems that every year we would just um, do something a bit different. Um, the coach at the time stepped away, and, and we got a new one in, and he was a, a club, um, you know, club barfly that helped us out and um, really engaged us and connected us with the club, and um, yeah, we just got better and better, which was which was great
1: so through this period as more park starts to improve your football improves as well so it gets to a stage where 2009 for the SA state women's team which you're playing with at that stage um a a big breakthrough winning division two of the national championships meaning that not only did you go up to division one for 2011 but again SA got to host the national carnival yeah
0: 2009 was was a great year we um we had Steve Baxter at the helm for state football at that at that time and um, it was the first time I was involved in SA state footy. I'd just finished um, my uni degree and thought to myself that, yeah, I can give it a go now because the carnivals were held biannually at that point um, and I just wanted to focus on my studies. So gave state footy a go in 2009 and I think it was in Perth, wasn't it, Peter? Uh,
1: 2009 was Perth, that's correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, so... Um, yeah it was fantastic there was the i reckon it was the first year that they divided the, the states into this one Div two type competition um we weren't all that happy about that given that we always wanted to take on the victorians um South that, that australian victorian footy rivalry but um noted to, to take out the title in Div two was um fantastic there was a number of girls that um, i got to play alongside that i hadn't played uh, with before and I had always played against them in the local competition and just to, to get to know them and that whole experience was amazing as, as an adult. I think we all, um, people that are involved in sport as kids all get to go away on carnivals and state trips That you're always um, in the care of your parents and then to go away as an adult in a state trip was, um, yeah, it was just a new experience and a fantastic one that, you know, I always have fond memories of.
1: Can you remember being given the captaincy for 2011 in the National Carnival and I guess the honour that comes along with representing your state at the highest level, being the leader of SA?
0: Yeah, it was um, definitely a a special time. Um, It was probably at that point that we started, well myself started taking my footy a bit more seriously and um, getting fit and getting into the gym and something that we just all went out and well, I know I did took footy for Granted a little bit and and just had fun playing it. And, um, yeah, it was at that point that probably was the turning point to taking it a bit more seriously um, and getting a bit more fitter and to captain the state. And, um, you know, I remember meeting the rest of the captains from the the other states and territories uh, in the lead up to to the championships and just realising how special it was to, to host and to also captain
1: now, being host captain, you didn't try and trick the other state uh, captains into going around to the Belfers' uh, pie truck and making them eat one of those disgusting pie floaters with the <laughs> meat pie upside down and pea soup.
0: No, 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 no pie floaters here, um, although Belfers are a good sponsor, but no. Um, yeah, well, no, it was good. It was good. We um, I later look at some of those, look back on some of those photos and, and you see people like Martin Perman, who was heavily involved in the... Um, exhibition matches as, as an assistant coach, and you see how those girls have gone on and what they've done with their footy career and post footy career. So, yeah, it was it was good times back then, and to be able to host and play out at um, some of the sample ovals that um, you know our top league here gets to play on, it was a, a real good experience.
1: In fact, I actually have here the fixture from that carnival. You played Queensland at Richmond Oval, home of West Adelaide. You played the Vicks at the Woodville Oval. And at Adelaide Uni, you played uh, WA. Yeah,
0: there you go. Um, Adelaide Uni Oval is a a very nice oval. It's just out uh, out the back of Adelaide Oval and um, kept in uh, well upkeep. And um, it's a really... Nice oval, but the one I probably remember is the um, one against the Dicks because um, that's the rivalry that we always we always loved. And um, I've actually got a, a photo up in my home gym of um, that that game day, and I think it's got Melissa Hickey, Daisy Pierce, and Esther O'Connor in it, and um, me kicking the ball, and them all after me. And I've I've kept that up in my home gym as, as a bit of a reminder of what footy used to be like and how far. I suppose myself and all those girls have come in terms of getting ourselves right to play at an elite level.
1: Let's think about that. And this is before the exhibition matches uh, come around in 2013, which we'll touch on in a moment. Can you talk about some of those players through that era? Some were unlucky not to make AFLW. Simply just age was the wrong number and they just hit their 40s by the time 2017 rolled around. And on another occasion for some, it's fair to say that through either injury or age, we probably haven't seen the absolute peak of them at AFLW as compared to National Carnivals and State League football. I think of names such as Kirby Bentley. I think it was mentioned she had an absolute blinder 2013 National Carnivals up there in Cairns, unlucky through injury. We think the likes of Shannon McFerrin, who used to dominate for Victoria at National Carnivals. Again, for her, it was just simply a case of age. She's now obviously in the coaching system, assistant coaching at Carlton. What are some of those names that, that stick out to you?
0: Um, yeah, obviously those two I, I got to play um, alongside Kirby and some of the um, some of the comps that we played in, like the, the All-Stars game that we played in down at Icon Park. And... Um, and Shannon, I think, was the captain of Victoria when we took them on in 2011 in the state champs. So, yeah, definitely remember remember those two. And, um, you know, they are fantastic players and admired by um, all the people that they played alongside. But I suppose for me, um, yeah, growing up through my Morphville Park days, um, Narelle Smith came across from Greenacres and, and coached us to um, two of those three flags at Morphville Park, and she played... Um, over 100 games in the South Australian Women's Footy League for a long time. Um, and, yeah, she'd probably be one that comes to mind that obviously in, if, if AFLW was around in her day, um, would definitely be there. Um, and, yeah, just probably someone who's um, played a really strong, significant role in my career and, and at that turning point of um, getting better as an athlete as well.
1: Let's talk about, Raoul, just for a moment. I do have this story, which has been reliably slipped to me by one Christy Williams, who mentions that with Morpheville Park, you were out on a footy trip one year out to Robe down in coastal uh, South Australia. <laughs> Not much to do in a smallish country town, except, uh, you know, a day of uh, drinking at a pub. And all of a sudden, a couple of boys walked into uh, the pub and didn't believe that you played women's footy and thought women's footy was soft and, and so on. And allegedly yourself and Raoul said that you'd take them on in one tackle wrestle with a small Sharon inside the pub and apparently you absolutely flattened one of the boys and a big raw win up.
0: Is that true? <laughs> uh, I can't confirm or deny those reports but um, those footy trips back in the day were were fantastic and um, definitely a team bonding, <laughs> team bonding activity but I think we became quite close friends with those guys uh, following that footy trip but yeah um, Yeah, no, really good times. Uh, I think we we celebrated just as hard as as we worked during the season to get, get those premierships in those days.
1: So we come around 2012, 2013. What Phil park again, getting stronger building towards your second premiership. Another national carnival is about to come around. And then all of a sudden there's this whispers of an exhibition game. I mean, everyone had hoped that there'd one day be a women's league. That just seemed to be light years away, but it's put out there that Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs are going to host this exhibition match. Now, if I'm correct at the time, for that particular draft um, to go into it, you also had to agree that if you were drafted, you were going to pay your own way to play this game at the MCG.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was interesting times back right then to think about that now and um, think about how far we've come. But um, there was no question behind the fact that if you had to pay your own way, every girl was going to be putting their hands in their pocket and doing everything they could to, to get there. And I suppose we came from those days of when national champs were around. Um, if there wasn't a significant sponsor that could uh, assist states and contribute um, each girl was was putting their hand in their pocket to to play footy and and even at club land you know three hundred dollars to three to five hundred dollar subs to to play your season and that that's what it was and yeah we were we were all determined to to be able to have the um, opportunity to to go over to Melbourne and be part of that first exhibition match it was Uh, just unreal to be involved in. And I think the year before that, um, out of the 2011 state champs, there was probably one girl selected from each state that got to go over to Melbourne and spend a week um, in a camp with the AIS boys. At that point, it was the the stage one, stage two academy AIS boys. And that was an experience and a half, Um, you know, just understanding they rocked into a a room and all got given their shoes and got measured up and everything. And I think there was about six or seven of us girls just sat there waiting to see what happened with us. And, um, you know, we were kind of um, involved in it. And and it was the first experience of interacting with girls and and boys in football. Um, And, yeah, I'll I'll always remember that fondly as well prior to the exhibition series.
1: How did you get notification that you'd been taken as pick number 38 in this first ever AFL women's draft
0: yeah the the first draft um, we went down to footy park and we were with uh, the swimmer football coordinator at the sample at that point in time um, we listened to it online I think and um, yeah there was a few people in the room at that point in time and yeah it was a fantastic, fantastic to hear um I believe there was two other South Jones at that point, Bronnie Davey and Alexander Price, and um, to have the opportunity to go away uh, with them. Obviously, I played against them. They, played, they got picked up by Melbourne. But, um, yeah, it was just exciting uh, for women's football at that time um, to experience a draft like we had never done before.
1: I just want to go through this Western Bulldogs lineup that you were selected in to take part in this 2013 exhibition match and for some of the players, what they've gone on to, just to show the quality that you were named alongside of. Stephanie Chiocci was taken as the first pick for the Bulldogs, of course now Collingwood captain, Geelong footballer Astor O'Connor, Melbourne midfielder Karen Paxman, Carlton footballer Katie Loins. 2018 AFLW best and fairest Emma Carney, 2017 Carlton captain, now Brisbane Lions footballer Lauren Arnell, GWS full forward Rebecca Privatale. Melbourne midfielder Aliso Day, uh, Collingwood best and fairest in 2017, now Carlton footballer Nicholas Stevens, Nat Tom out of Yeronga, South Brisbane, current Richmond captain, Katie Brennan, Leah Maskell um, for the Coastal Titans, also taken in that, uh, halfback for GWS in Louise Stevenson, um, second in the Brisbane Lions best and fairest, um, Kate Luckins, uh, Western Bulldogs fullback, Lauren Spark. Kira Phillips out of the uh, Peel Thunderbirds. Uh, Sarah Darcy, uh, current uh, Collingwood footballer. Uh, Lions footballer, Ali Anderson, of course, yourself with pick 38. Then you had North Melbourne Tasmanian uh, Kangaroos footballer, Jenna Bruton. Collingwood VFLW Premiership coach, Penny Kula reed current Brisbane Lions best and fairest Emily Bates, GWS midfielder Jessica Dalpos, Callie Gibson, who, of course, was your premiership teammate in 2017, and current Geelong VFLW coach Natalie Wood. That's a heck of a lot of quality in your side.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. and um, Just uh, wrapping it up there, Natalie Wood obviously coaching at, at Geelong now. Um, but it's unreal to see the, the calibre of girls that came together for that match and, and where they all are now. And it's just, it's fantastic to, to think that we all just started there um, playing a one-off match together and spending a couple of days in the lead-up together. Um, it's, yeah, it's just amazing to think that that's how it all started.
1: What were the nerves like going out into that first game in front of several thousand people at the MCG? It's a bit... I'm guessing the atmosphere is a bit different. It's not quite running out for SA where there's a lot of history and state pride behind you. This is essentially an All-Stars team versus an All-Stars team uh, wearing Melbourne and Western Bulldogs jumpers. But still, for the first time to be women's sides representing AFL clubs, what was that occasion like as you run out onto the ground?
0: Yeah, it was was very special to know that that was, at the time, the pinnacle of our sport and... Um, having the opportunity to play alongside some of those girls that I'd previously come up against in, in national championships and admired the way they went about it and, and how good they were as footballers. So it was a very special moment and um, definitely in the lead-up, that was something that we spoke about um, that we were creating history in terms of, of putting on um, an AFL jumper at that point in time and something that had never happened before, um, So to be involved in in the Western Bulldogs Club and and be embedded in that for that um, little bit of time in the lead-up to that game was, was truly a special moment.
1: What was the mindset coming out after that game and how you approached your football? I relate a story from an interview I did with um, Mo Hope after a, a game in 2014. Now, Moana Hope didn't play in that 2013 match, but she went along to watch, and she said immediately after she saw that game, she was inspired, hit the gym straight away, and after giving up football for a year, she wanted back in. How did that change your approach to your professionalism around football after playing in that game?
0: Oh, definitely. And I think um, what each girl saw that day was, um, you know, what was to come of the future of women's football and and knew that it was only going to grow from there in terms of the success that that game was and and how far it had come from the previous years. So I'd just come off the back of an ankle reconstruction um, that year. So I was playing in that game under a little bit of duress, but knew that if I wanted to continue and, and play footy at the highest level, I'd have to work a lot harder than what I had been. And um, I think every girl knew that there was more to come um, and the future was looking bright for, for football and, and the opportunities for females. So most of the girls involved in that game, other than the ones that went off to, to coach and, and end their careers, um, you know, we all worked hard to to get to where we are today, which
1: is it's great to see. Do you recall the pre-season and the build-up in 2014 with Mofferville Park as you begin your run to the flag, your first of three in a row?
0: Yeah, we um, we, we were really focused that year. I think we, we could see that over the years we kept improving. Our, um, our pre-seasons that kept starting earlier and we became a lot more professional in how we went about it. Um, I think we we're probably the first club um, of that era to engage a, a strength and conditioning coach in the off season. Um, most clubs weren't doing it, doing that around that time. And um, yeah, look, we we just took that next level. And obviously, with the assistance of Mareel um, Smith as our head coach during those times, we just got better and better. Um, and you know, the, the fun part of it was that we all had the same. Uh, same path and, and same desire to, to get to where we wanted to do, which was to win flags. So, yeah, it was fun times, but um, a lot of hard work, and, and we all enjoyed the hard work, which was great. It seemed to
1: be a culture that went right throughout the club because you took the double that year. You not only won the Open Women's Division 1 flag, but your under-18s girls also took out the premiership.
0: Yeah, I think with that, that buy-in and that, that club feel, we um we definitely... um all work together to, to grow the club and lots of the girls that uh, were in that Division 1 side were also part of committees and um, wanted to help grow the club and have give opportunities to younger girls and um, we got our under 18 girls um, side up and running and um, got that flag which was fantastic and we all love winning and, and celebrating those successes so uh, yeah, it, just, it just kind of built from there and, and we got um, better and better at doing things and Engaging people and, and bringing people together.
1: What did it mean for you personally to take our best on ground in a winning grand final side?
0: Um, yeah, I suppose you don't you don't think about those those things at the time um, until you have opportunities to sit back and reflect on on that. And I, I suppose I, I do that through just looking back, and um, you know, you, you can pick up some photos and and they bring back memories and. It was just a, a great day to be able to contribute to getting that team success that we had strived for back when we started pre-seasons, and um, yeah, I don't I don't take too much away from those individual successes, and um, you know, just just see the smile on on my teammates' face and, uh, when we when we do win and enjoy that with them. That's that's probably what it's more about.
1: Also in 2014, uh, you had the opportunity to play in another exhibition game uh, because a number of players had to be cut and thrown back into the pool to give maximum opportunities. You went back into the draft and got taken by Melbourne. Can you talk about what it's like playing under the two different sides um, uh, back-to-back. First of all, for the Western Bulldogs, where you played under now St Kilda AFLW uh, coach in Peter Searle, of course, was then still a legend of women's football after winning five flags at Darabin. And on the other side, um, with Melbourne playing under Michelle Cowan. And, of course, Michelle, as we know, won that first exhibition match leading Melbourne and uh, would go on to coach uh, Freeman on the AFLW, now, of course, assistant coach of the West Coast Eagles.
0: Yeah, obviously those those two um, women are, are fantastic for what they've done for the game, and to have the opportunity to um, be under their tutelage was just amazing. I, I mean, I still remember some some of the drills that we did in in the trainings leading up to those games, and and just being exposed to um, you know what they knew and their footy intellect was was really um, you know helped me in good stead moving forward and and being a better player and yeah, it was, it was a bit different being selected by Melbourne and then having to go play at a different club the next year and um, obviously you go over in the lead up to the game a few days earlier and, and try and get embedded into the culture of that club and, and what they're about and um, to, you know, I always look back and think to be able to be part of um, both those sides um, and play for both those clubs, they're, they're two um, very special moments for me and um, I always have um, a soft spot for both those clubs and what they did for, for women's football to you know, to be brave to go out there and, you know, put that forward that put that idea forward to the AFL and make it happen was just truly special. But yeah, Melbourne Melbourne definitely was I was there for a lot longer than I was with um, the Bulldogs and um yeah, it was just a, a fantastic club and the way Michelle brought the girls together to be able to play one game was was really great and um, kept it simple, but also enabled us to, to show our flair and, um, you know, what all of our strengths were and coming together and being able to play.
1: And what did it mean in 2015 when you backed up and played for Melbourne again to have a fellow Mofferville Park Roo alongside you in Danielle Godding, who was taken as pick number two?
0: Yeah, that was really exciting. Um, Goddy was our ruck at for a very long time and, you um, you know, she was fantastic in how she went about um, her footy. She came across from, from CrossFit and was um, probably one of the fittest in our side at the time as a ruckman. So, um, yeah, to see see her get that opportunity was fantastic and um, see her contribute um, and be part of the, uh, you know, footy at the elite level at that time was, was great.
1: In 2015, uh, Mofferville Park would win the second of their hat-trick of flags. Can you talk about going through that year, I guess, with a different mindset? Because after 2014, of course, it was the chase to try and get that second flag and in that 10-year drought. What is it like going into that second year of a hat-trick that you're now the hunted? Yeah, yeah. It
0: was was really exciting. We're getting used to... um, you know, uh, other sides wanting to to beat us, and I think we just derived on that. Um, it kind of gave us a bit of fight to get better and better each year, knowing that um, teams were coming after us. And um, yeah, like I said, we we, we just continued to improve. Um, we we kept building on um, our game plan. You know, we were getting more professional um, as the years went on, and and starting pre seasons earlier, and managing our bodies better, and and engaging in recovery and rehab and yeah we're just getting better and better so it was exciting times to to be able to be pushed by other clubs in the in the SA Women's Footy League at that time and clubs wanting to beat us in those rivalries.
1: Can you talk us through the grand final performance of your best on ground Cat Williams?
0: Yeah Cat Williams is an amazing footy player she um played a number of years down at Mofferville Park and um was her family was heavily involved in the club um, throughout her junior years, um, so she was just a one of those natural talents that um, knew how to find the ball. Um, skills were unreal, and yeah, she's just she was just a fantastic player and um, someone that you know could have played at the elite level.
1: What's going through your mind near the back half of 2015 when Gil McLaughlin makes the announcement? There will be. An AFL Women's League, and they are aiming to start in 2017.
0: Yeah, I suppose it, it kind of made it a bit real um, over those last those previous couple of years. We were um, obviously improving our professional standards and and playing good footy, and then um, realising that there's something in this, and that you know there's an opportunity um, coming in terms of um, AFLW and a competition that. Um, how that might look and and what that might be. And we just continued to keep our head down and work hard. But when we heard that news, um, you know, it kind of made it a bit real knowing that it's a possibility um, sooner rather than later, which was was really exciting at the time. I think um, 2020 seemed a long way away, but um, to hear 2017 definitely made it really close.
1: We know in the summer of 2015-16 in Victoria, they were running a Victorian Women's Football Academy. About 100 women were taking part in it, really being pushed to the limit that summer, essentially to get them, uh, in terms of fitness and skills, up to standard and ready to be taken by AFL clubs come the end of 2016. What was the situation like in South Australia through that 2015-16 summer, then into 2016, as you... Prepare for what would be eventually the first Adelaide Crows team?
0: Yeah, it was um, the the club obviously at the Crows um, engaged us early and um, you know, worked closely with the sample to look at what our talent was like in South Australia and and, um, how we could get girls in the best shape possible ready for such a competition and um, the Crows are fantastic at at getting on board early um, and bringing that together and um, I remember going down to the club early days before, um, you know, licences were announced to to work out how they could bring that all together, and, and enge- they were really engaging with the people that had been involved with women's footy for a long time, just to to work through how they might best do that. So, yeah, it was definitely uncertain times, and um, we weren't to know that um, who would get a license out of the Crows and, and Port Power, and um, how that might be that. Obviously, a crow fan growing up. Um, as a kid, I was thrilled to be able to walk through the doors of that football club and um, be exposed to the, the inner sanctum of that footy club. And then to be able to go out and train with them, and um, you know, in games in you know, the lead-up, it was just it was unreal at that point.
1: 2016, what a year it is. You're starting to build up towards your hat-trick of premierships, three out of three. In the middle of that, um, you had an SA representative game against New South Wales, and prior to selecting that SA side, uh, you had an All-Stars game, essentially blue versus red. What did it mean for your club, for uh, the best players on both sides in blue versus red, to be Morfordville Park footballers, Ebony Marinoff and Georgia Bevan?
0: Yeah, that was that was an unreal game because we got to play on Adelaide Oval and many of the girls at that point um, hadn't set foot on um, Adelaide Oval or even through the gates. So um, it was a bit bit of a special day for um, some of the girls playing and um, to see to see the Morphville Park girls that had been engaged in our club for, for so long and been part of building that culture and that competitiveness to, to win flags during those times and – Um, Had the opportunity to go out and play amongst the best of the best in South Australia at Adelaide Oval and, you know, really highlight um, themselves as footballers and and give them the best opportunity to be exposed to, um, you know, people that were were looking at um, girls' footy more in depth and looking for a future as to whether they could play at the elite level was really exciting for them. And um, those times were were just unreal, and to think back and think of what was to come at that point was pretty unreal, and to see some of the young girls like Ebony Marinoff at that point, um, you know, she was just a kid at those times and had the world at her feet but probably didn't even realise it. Um, yeah, it was re- really good that day to, to be able to expose some of those girls to, to the wider football community.
1: Some might cheekly say she's still a kid at this point. <laughs>
0: you could say that you could say that she um she's still she's still developing and and growing
1: deviating for a moment what's it been like doing a podcast with her
0: oh yeah she's definitely a character um you know there's there's never a dull moment with um with ebony and you know i've been fortunate enough to um you know be her friend for a long time as um i saw her as a as a kid, um, met her as a kid at 14, 15, out at Mossville Park playing footy, senior women's footy, and she just loved footy. So um, to see her grow over those years and and really develop as a person has been unreal. And she's a very close friend, so to do a podcast with her, it's just like we're we're hanging out normally and, and enjoying each other's company, which has been been pretty fun.
1: Do you say that uh, you're friends with a gun footballer or friends with a dally technician?
0: <laughs> well, she she never lets go of those deli deli days. She loves her her cured meats and um, her fine food. But um, no, no, she's she uh, she'll never let go of Foodland days. That's for sure.
1: So let's talk about the hat trick being complete. Um, I guess this is a, a great way to cap off uh, the Morville Park career before heading into the AFLW 2016. Three out of three, you complete the hat trick. I hope I pronounced the surname correctly. Kirsty DeGabriel taking out best on ground honours.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a it was a great day to, to get back to back. I think um, those days we we were kind of uh, trying to emulate the, uh, the Hawthorne Footy Club dynasty. And I always said that uh, when we win one, they win one. Um, so we're following their path. Um, we had the same club song, which was exciting, and I got a bit suspicious about that at times, but, um, no, it was a fantastic day to, to get that three in a row, and, um, you know, it was a tough day, but, um, we definitely celebrated, celebrated hard after.
1: Yeah, West Adelaide pushing you in that uh, grand final, but the satisfaction of three out of three, a great hat trick before moving into your AFLW career. Now, you were lucky in a way. You didn't have to sit through the draft and all the nervousness that surrounded that because you were a priority signing. How much pressure did that take off of you and allow you to go instantly change gears into, okay, now, no, I'm definitely part of the Adelaide Crows. I'm beginning the program to build up my fitness and skills now.
0: Yeah, it was it was definitely exciting times, and um, to sit be able to sit back and watch the draft um, was amazing. Um, I remember getting the call from from Phil Harper um, to let me know that I was a priority pick. I was actually at work during the during the time that it called, and I went to a quiet room to take the call. And um, he, yeah, he let me know that I'd be a priority pick for the the, the you know the first year of AFLW, and. Um, you know, really, it was it was just a dream come true, I think, in that moment after I hung up the phone. I I sat in that room for a few minutes after, just in silence, thinking about all the, the hard work and effort that my parents had put into um, assisting me throughout my sporting life as a kid and, um, you know, how proud that they were going to be of that moment. And, um, yeah, it was something that that phone call I'll always remember, um, being at work and heading into that quiet room and having that moment for myself following that phone call. But to, to sit back and then watch the excitement of the draft and, and how it all unraveled and, and the girls that were going to become my teammates, that was that was really cool as well.
1: You had a few Morpheville Park teammates join you there at the Adelaide Crows. as We mentioned earlier Ebony Marinoff and uh, Georgia Bevan, but also joining you there was uh, Denny Van Hagen, You are also joined by, as I just uh, scanned down the list, Anne Hatchard. Can can we believe it was taken at pick 87 overall, considering how now that Anne Hatchard has really blossomed at AFLW level. Jess Sednary also joined you there, as well as Justine Mules.
0: Yeah, there there was a a fair few um, Moorfordville Park girls that got drafted, which was just Really, a sentiment to all the hard work that um, you know the likes of Norrell Smith put in to to get us at that point of being able to play AFL um, W footy and and being the best that we could at that point in time. It was it was unreal to, to head into an environment um, that was going to be all new to all of us and and be able to do it together, um, knowing that we'd come from a footy environment at Morphe's and and be able to try and um, you know be exposed to what we're about to be exposed to, which is, um, you know, the highest level. So, yeah, it was definitely comforting having having your teammates around you.
1: And, of course, Dana Cox, uh, your other Moorfield Park teammate, was taken as a free agent after the draft. Another famous free agent, of course, was uh, Sarah Perkins coming across from Victoria. And you had a rookie join you, Erin Phillips. When she first walks through at training, is it almost... A little bit intimidating because you you know the other footballers around you are playing in the SAWFL or through national carnivals, and all of a sudden, here comes this Olympian walking through the door.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting times because there was a bit of a um, feel for the, the cross coders at that point, and and getting girls across from other sports. We knew that you know women's footy at the time had had great talent out there, but there was this opportunity to to draft girls that. Um, potentially would have played uh, football in their day if they had the opportunity, but went off to play other sports at the elite level. So to get Erin across from basketball and, and you know, the back end of her career in another sport that um, she'd, you know, grow, grown up being an, an elite level athlete and being paid to do so. And, you know, her having um, been exposed to what it takes to, to be in that environment constantly and um, play at the highest level. It was a great opportunity to learn from her, and and the girls took that on, um, you know, and learned a lot over those times. Can you talk us through
1: the unique character that is Beck Goddard and meeting her for the first time as she would guide you into the inaugural AFLW season?
0: Yeah, so Beck was involved in um, some of those matches in the early days around um, Adelaide Oval and the the Blue versus Red side, but. Um, had a gave us an opportunity to be exposed, um, at that level, the best of the best in South Australia. So, um, she also came on board as a, an assistant coach with our, our state team under Norell Smith, and um, you know, we were exposed to her then. So, some of the most of the girls knew back um, in the lead up, um, after she moved to Adelaide from, from New South Wales ACT. So um we'd already been exposed to beck and and her quirky ways and um yeah it was great to have her on board in that inaugural year
1: can you talk about i guess trying to bond with teammates that are literally hundreds of kilometers apart because you have a darwin camp as well as your adelaide camp
0: yeah we were were in a really unique situation um at that point um i think we we got, um, got used to the fact early days that um, potentially other people outside of our control thought that there wasn't enough talent in South Australia um, and, look, we we um, really took that on as, as an opportunity to to really gel um, tight as, as tight as we could um, given the, the distance um, between us and the NT girls and um, it was fantastic to be able to get up to the Northern Territory and and meet our teammates and, and go for camps up there. Um, I'll always, the Northern Territory will always be close to my heart purely for those years that we'll, we had that partnership with the ASL and, and the Adelaide Crows and, um, you know, having the opportunity to, to play for them as well as South Australia was, was fantastic.
1: What do you recall about expectations around the 2017 season? Because the pundits at that time We're looking mainly at the Victorian sides, even though Victoria had been split into four. But prior to that, Victoria had always been strong at a national carnival level and supplied the most players to the exhibition matches. There was also big talk around the Fremantle Dockers because of the West Australians and the West Australians had beaten the Vicks in 2015 for the first time ever. There was very little talk about SA because uh, traditionally it struggled at national carnival level. Was it a, almost a personal insult to the Adelaide girls that you weren't being taken seriously, and, and what were the expectations when you're coming into a first season, and nobody knows who's going to click and whatever at any side.
0: Yeah, look to, to be honest, um, my memories of of 2017 and and entering the Adelaide Footy Club and um, having that partnership with the Northern Territory, we just really focused on um, trying to make it work um, for us as a as a side and as a club and. Um, we knew that there was noise out there about, um, you know, how good, um, the, the Fremantle Dockers might be and how good some of the Melbourne based sites might be. But we, we did really go about our business and, and didn't get wrapped up in too much of that expectation. And, and we just went out and, um, tried to bring it all together and have fun playing football. And I think that obviously showed in, in how successful we were, um, which was, yeah, it was just an unreal season to, to be those, um, that underdog and um, in the inaugural year being able to win a flag was amazing.
1: What are your recollections of running down the race, doing the warm-up and lining up for the first bounce at Febberton Oval, round one 2017?
0: Yeah, I think um, the night before was um, obviously the first ever AFLW game out at Icon Park and I I sat at home and and watched that on telly and um, the, the amount of butterflies I had to see that crowd and the, the lockout that it was. Um, there was I had so much nerves for the girls playing that night, um, you know, for myself the following day and, and to realise that um, that was a moment in time where, um, you know, history was going to change and it was just going to be an amazing moment, I think, when it came to... Running out at Sebedon, um that next day for our first match, all those nerves I'd played out the night before, um, seeing that first ever match of AFL being being played, and just gave me an opportunity to to realise that it's just, I suppose, an, another game of football, and um, obviously take it in, but not get overawed by it. Which, um, you know, I probably got more overawed by the the first ever game rather than our first ever game.
1: It was a terrific occasion. You end up beating the GWS Giants. A great way to uh, start the season. And then you roll on through the year. Five wins, two losses. The losses coming against uh, Brisbane in uh, the battle between the then two undefeated sides at Norwood Oval. A great occasion. And then, of course, against uh, Melbourne up there in Darwin. Due to greater percentage, you managed to hold on. You hold on to second spot. The top two teams meet in a grand final. What's it like preparing to go on the road to go to Metricon Stadium to play in your first ever National League grand final?
0: Yeah, it was um, it was a bit of a, a different experience for myself. I, I think we played uh, the Pies at a, um, their home ground at Olympic Park um, the week before and I suffered a pretty bad concussion and um, wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to get up to play the grand final but we headed up to to Metricon and, and the Gold Coast early. Um, there was talk during the week about where the actual grand final would be played and whether it would be at the Gabba, um, which is obviously the home of Brisbane, but um, it eventuated to be Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. And um, we headed up a bit earlier in the week as to what we were normally prepared um, to travel. Um, and, yeah, so the girls had to get days off work to, to enable that and it all kind of came together late, but... I wasn't at training in the lead-up to that week because I was at home not feeling too well um, given my concussion. So, um, yeah, it was just it was an unreal experience to all come together on the Gold Coast um, for a, a few days um, in the lead-up to that grand final and um, obviously passed the concussion test and was able to make the field. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place up there. The, the boys um, being up in the hub now, it's... I, I do remember um, the hotel that they're staying at and and how um, it's an amazing feeling being on the road with your mates as well.
1: What a day it was, an absolute thrilling occasion, 15,000 people attended uh, Metricon Stadium for that day. It came down literally to the dying seconds. I think Sabrina Frederick is still arguing the case about having a shot on goal uh, to try and tie it. But the result would stand 4-11-35 to 4-5-29. In fact, in that final quarter, you, you led by 12 points at three-quarter time and you'd hang on to win by two points. Do you remember the tension of the final few minutes where it seemed like for the Crows, you were running out of legs, the lines were coming and you're holding on for dear life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We we knew that they were coming and and you could just feel it. Um, I remember being deep in in our defensive 50 at one point and the the board had gone out of bounds and it had rolled around to the, the goal area. And I remember in my head just, pretending to walk so slow that I could just chew up the time and um, wait for the umpire to, to call play it on. Um, but, yeah, I do remember them coming and trying to be everything I could to to make that clock go faster.
1: You take out the Premiership, the inaugural Premiers of the AFLW. Obviously, you've won the 2019 Grand Final. We'll touch that on that in a moment. But what does it mean to you that um, in about seven years' time from now and after that every 10 years, you'll be coming back not just to celebrate a premiership reunion but the inaugural premiership, the first ever AFLW premiership team?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Given I've now retired, I actually um, thought to myself about your reunion pretty quickly and and worked out I've got seven years to go so we can have one. So. I'm just thinking maybe we could have a five-year one instead of a 10-year one uh, to make it happen a bit sooner for myself. But, no, it's it's going to be um, an unreal experience to, to get um, that clan back together. We've obviously um, a lot uh, different-looking teams um, in AFLW Season 4 compared to that inaugural year. And um, we've got girls in, playing for different sides and, and obviously some girls that are, are no longer playing. So to get get that group back together and... Uh, it really was a special year
1: in the inaugural year to, to win that flag. Another inaugural for you was the AFLW All-Australian team. The inaugural one for 2017. You were named as a member of that. Not a bad year for first, is it? Playing in uh, the first ever round of the AFLW, winning the first ever AFLW Premiership and being in the first ever AFLW All-Australian team.
0: Yeah, it was it was a special night to, to be part of the AFLW Awards. And... No one really knew how it, would, how it would unfold or what it would be like. But we all, as footy fanatics, knew that it was similar to the Brownlow. Um, still waiting for it to, its name of that award. But we all knew it was Brownlow night and it was a special night. And to, to sit there as um, as premiers, obviously, um, it, was a, it was a very happy night. And to, to have those individual accolades are, are obviously nice, but to have the premiership was, was fantastic.
1: Not wanting to gloss over 2018, but a tough year for you and also for the Adelaide Football Club. You only managed to get out there for four games due to injury. Injury went right throughout the club that year. To, to be fair on Beck Goddard, I think at the end, you're only about a game or half a game out of making the grand final. So it was a heck of a performance to be competitive considering the injuries. Is 2018, particularly after the success of 2019, a year that the side just looks as a write-off as a, as a case of we were never going to be physically up and ready to challenge? Yeah,
0: look, I think the uh, the thing about AFLW is that every game so crucial that um, the, the how tight the season is is it makes every every game like a mini final, and um, you just have to get those wins on the board. Um, and I think you can really have some momentum leading into your season. And and we couldn't get those wins early, and other other teams just had a lot more momentum than us. And yeah, we had a couple of injuries here and there, but uh, we definitely had the cattle to be able to do it. But we just couldn't um, couldn't produce those wins. So yeah, it was it was a disappointing year off the back of. Uh, being on such a high, um, but I think going going away from the 2018 season, it it made us realise that we we can't take um, you know little things for granted, and we're still going to work really hard to, to get get back to where we were.
1: Can you talk about resetting for the 2019 year as you build up to obviously win another flay? Because it's a very different year. Beck Goddard's no longer with the club. There's a change of coach, and Matthew Clark is now in charge. What's it like trying to get used to a new coach's system?
0: Yeah, it was um it was really exciting to to have Doc on board. We obviously knew of Doc through the club as the, the men's route coach and um he was really refreshing and, and quite laid back really and, and still is to this day that um he's obviously got a fantastic footy intellect and um I know that all the girls thrived on, on getting to know the game more from him and um you know, he proved obviously really successful in, in being out to, do that with us, and we played a great brand of footy um, in that 2019 premiership year. And um, you know, everyone had, everyone was on the same page, and and to be able to play football like that was just fantastic. And really enjoyed, um, you know, the year under him. And and he is, he is quite a laid back, quirky kind of guy, and and um, you know, all the girls uh, got to know that pretty quickly. And um, I reckon I was I was quite a um, uptight. Uh, footballer and, and tried to do everything, um, you know, everything I could um, possibly do to the right, to the right letter, and um, you know, he definitely instilled in me that um, you know not everything can be perfect, and, and to have a bit of fun going about how you do things, and and his laid back vibe um, definitely allowed us to have a lot of fun, and, and um, you know, that twenty nineteen premiership was just amazing.
1: The season was amazing as well, because even before coming into that grand final, everyone remembers the absolute uh, demolition job that you did on uh, Geelong. Uh, poor old cats uh, probably still reeling from that. Uh, of course, um, you finish top of the table in a very tough conference. A Fremantle were right behind you, but due to greater percentage, again, you beat Geelong. Then you go through to play Carlton in that grand final. As you said, you had the honour in 2016 of running out there on the Adelaide Oval for an All-Stars game. We fast forward three years and the ground is absolutely jammed packed. I know you're focused on playing in a grand final, but do you sense what's happening around you as the game goes on? More and more and more people are flooding into this ground.
0: Yeah, it was. It was truly an unreal experience. I think um, in the lead up to the game, there was some talk around um, potentially 20,000 people and, and um, you know, we were just gobsmacked by that alone um, to think that we might have 20,000 people at our game on the weekend was, was pretty pretty cool. But, um, you know, as the as um, day got closer and, and there was more talk, we, we went out for warm up and could see people flowing, flowing through the the doors, and um, it probably wasn't until um, obviously the match had started, and, and you just go about playing football. Um, you know, you try and try and forget the the crowd and whatever. But we re- we did run out there and just said to each other, "Take it in now, and and then let's play football." And and that's what we did. But at that point in the game, where um, they put up the the um, attendance. Um, and the crowd number on the scoreboard. Um, I think I was—I can't remember who I was standing on at the time, but um, they turned to me and, and said, "Wow!" And, and we probably just had a moment in that point in time. And um, the game was obviously still being played. I think I was down in, in defense at the point at that point in time, and it was in our forward half. But um, the crowd—the crowd, the crowd roared—and um, at the attendance record on the scoreboard. And that—that's that's probably when. A few of the girls stopped on the field and just thought to themselves this is pretty a pretty special moment in time for, for women's sport.
1: That grand final at half time you lead by an astonishing forty points, nine two fifty six to two four sixteen. After half time you would only score seven more points and end ten three sixty three. Carlton though would only add two more points to two 18 But let's talk about that second half because during that grand final, two things unfortunately go horribly wrong. Chloe Shear and Aaron Phillips, both go down with ACL injuries. What's the talk like in the group at that time? You've lost two star footballers to ACLs, not only obviously a season injury, uh, injury that would keep them out for almost 12 months, but you're two players down in a grand final and all it takes is the opposition to get one or two quick goals. And then all of a sudden, the momentum's coming their way and they've got more fit players. What is that talk to, to make sure that things don't go south?
0: Yeah, look, I think we, um, we knew at the time that it was pretty significant moments uh, losing um, two quality people uh, in the game. And um, I think we all had a sense of, of understanding um, that and the impact that that might have. But um, there was no um, specific talk about it, but it was just more about trusting Um, the process and and how we play and and continuing to battle hard and and finish the game off and um, Yeah, those two two going down in in such a special game was was quite horrendous really and um, Sad for them to to finish their seasons off in that way, but um, We're more about playing playing what we how we had played all year and and continuing and going about it how we we wanted to go about it and particularly for them to, to finish off um, for them as well.
1: You managed to finish off the job in front of a packed house, winning the Crows' second Premiership as Meatloaf once sung, two out of three ain't bad. How does the second Premiership fit alongside the first?
0: Uh, yeah, they're, they're quite different, and I think um, yeah, Amy Shark was definitely a lot better than Meatloaf, but um, we didn't get to see Amy Shark before our grand final unfortunately, but um the second obviously was was amazing um, you know to to be at home um, in front of family and friends and at a at a ground that is the pinnacle of South Australian um, football here in our state and and to share that with with family and friends in front of that many people um, was was pretty special. Um, I, I remember. Uh, during that season, I, I was fortunate enough to play um, in a Pro-Am golf tournament uh, for the w- Women's Australian Golf Open um, that was held here in, in Adelaide and um, played with um, Tari Webb. And she texted me after that day and said, um, congratulations, it's um, you know, fantastic for your sport, but it's also fantastic for women's sport more generally. Um, what just happened in that moment with that many people um, viewing a women's sport sport? Um, you know, spectacle live. So to me, for for someone like her that has obviously been at the pinnacle of her sport for a very long time and an international sport at at that, um, you know, that really hit home to to know how amazing that moment was. And, um, yeah, I think 2019 obviously um, has that big a deal about it, but 2017 will always be special for the fact that we were the underdogs at that point in time and, and it was the inaugural year and, and to say
1: we won that inaugural North flag is pretty cool too. So, Premiers 2019, things are feeling pretty good. You're rolling around to 2020 to see if you can do what you didn't do in 2017, and, and that's defend the title. You actually made a, a big decision before the start of the 2020 season, and that was to take unpaid leave from work, very similar to what Steph Chiocci did at Collingwood when she took unpaid leave from teaching. Can you talk us through that sacrifice that you were going to make?
0: Yeah, look, I suppose I knew um, as the years went on, I was getting less and less games out of my body and obviously suffered a number of soft tissue injuries and um, knew that if I if I wanted to, to give it one last shot and try and get as many games out as I could, I needed to take that opportunity to, to get my body right and, and do all the little things that I wasn't able to do working full-time and, and trying to play football. Um, it was just getting harder and harder. Year on year, so um, I was lucky enough to have, um, you know, a really supportive workplace in in the Department for Correctional Services, a, a state government role that I, I perform, and um, they were they happy to support me in, in the final stages of my footy career and give me that one last opportunity, and um, did so. And look, I'm glad I did it. Um, it obviously didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. I was only able to get um, one regular um, see the match out of my body but um, just happy that, uh, I gave it my all and, and go out knowing and retiring, knowing that, um, I did give it my all and my body's just not up to the rigors of, of elite, um, elite football anymore.
1: When did that moment come to you that it's time to hang up the boots?
0: Um, look, I probably, I probably said to myself, um, at the start of the season, um, if I can, I got through two trial matches. Um, one in Adelaide against the Giants, and and one in Perth against Frio, And um, it was all looking pretty fine at that point. I, I thought I was I was ready for a, a great season ahead. And um, it was following that trial match in Perth that um, had an adductor strain and missed the first um, first few matches. And, and thought to myself at that point, you know, if I don't get any more than three games out of my body this season it's probably time and I was only uh, unfortunately able to get one out against Geelong um, over at um, GMHBA Stadium and, and that was my last game. So it's unfortunate. I was hoping to, to play my final match, which was our our final round here in, in Adelaide at Unley Oval, which is uh, an oval I grew up um, grew up at and, and love and live not far from. And um, I was happy to go out there, but, um, you know, the season didn't eventuate how it did.
1: It is confirmed that you will not be playing AFLW. How about for lower levels? Obviously, in, in, in South Australia, it's the choice of state league with sand for women's. There's also now the Adelaide Footy League, which was the old SAWFL. And uh, dare I say, because you're 34, you're almost qualifying now for the over 35, some Masters <laughs> football and, and their Masters <laughs> carnival. Is there still a chance that at a lower level you'll pull on the boots again? Oh, look,
0: I'll never say never, but uh, I definitely, um, I definitely know that my body can't, Handle uh, constant football anymore, and um, yeah, it's it's been a, a great ride being out of play, and I'll always always love the game. Um, you know, I'm involved in coaching at the moment, and and really enjoy um, that development side of the game and um, helping young players out. So I have no doubt that I'll still be involved in some capacity in football moving forward, and. Um, who knows whether that means having a kick. I'll, I'll have to see see about that. We, we did jokingly um, talk about once everyone's retired from elite football at ASLW level that we'll, we'll bring back the clan and, and try and have one, one game at Morphable Park all together. So uh, that should be a bit of fun.
1: You did mention coaching uh, Emma Grant, for example, who we spoke to, who retired due to concussion uh, from Collingwood. Uh, she is coaching the Victorian uh, under-18 girls Metro team. Um, for yourself, uh, where's your coaching journey possibly going to take you?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I suppose I obviously enjoy enjoy coaching and, and seeing young girls develop. I'm, I'm currently coaching the under-18 um, side at a, a Glenunga Footy Club, which is in a... Uh, amateur comp uh, here in South Australia and and really enjoying that. Uh, I don't necessarily um, aspire to be at a certain level um, in terms of who I coach, but as long as um, I'm still having fun and enjoying coaching and seeing people grow and develop, that's that's more so what I like to do. And, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see where where opportunities exist and um, what that looks like moving forward, but... um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely remain in the game of football.
1: There's one other important thing that you've done since we also mentioned concussion, which Emma Grant retired from. Um, of course, you had suffered concussions we mentioned going into that 2017 Grand Final. Is that you said that you will donate your brain for concussion studies?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I did mention that on on the podcast with um, CJ and but um, I, I did have contact from someone about that and. I don't know. I just I feel that um, you know having experienced concussion and and the symptoms of concussion and um, how serious it is, I really do feel that um, there's something in in the research needed to understand understand it more to keep our, our game safe moving forward and and making sure that we do treat it seriously. I know that under the new AFL AFL protocols around um, the time in in which you need to have off. Uh, you know, preceding a concussion, I probably wouldn't have two flags if if those rules were in place now. So um I understand it's it's a really serious thing and um yeah, if I can do anything to, to help and improve our game I'm I'm willing to do that.
1: A couple of quickfire questions about players before we let you go. From across your career, and this can include Motfield Park, Exhibition Games, Adelaide Crows, and and uh, National Carnival Football, I'll begin by asking, who was the best player you played alongside? The uh,
0: best player I played alongside, um, probably in all my time, is... Uh, it's a tough one. Um, there's a couple. Probably Denny Van Hagen. She's um, obviously a, um, a great winger for us at Adelaide Footy Club and played alongside her and watched her grow up as a kid at Morville Park Footy Club and she's probably just one of those players that doesn't get the accolade she deserves. Um, very smart footballer and, and very tough. Um, I do recall over the years um, when Denny was a young kid and, and she was afraid of getting in the gym but now you can't. Get her out of the gym, so she just goes about it in all the right ways, and and um, you know a very unassuming footballer.
1: Who was the toughest opponent you went up against one on one?
0: Oh, toughest opponent. Um, I probably think um, Jazzy Garner's an unreal, um, unreal player, and someone that's really hard to shut down. And I think over the years, as she got um, fitter and faster and improved her game, um, that got harder and. Yeah, she's she's definitely an amazing footballer and um, can go all day now, which is is great to see her her grow and develop. And, and yeah, she was a, a really tough opponent to, to line up on.
1: When things are going tough, either on or off the field, which is the teammate you most look towards to to almost be like a head on their shoulder and look for support from?
0: Yeah, I think um, probably Ebony Marinoff has has been someone that's been, been a constant there for a long time and. Um, you know have been a, a bit of that for each other over the years and and helped each other through a number of things throughout football and life so yeah she's probably one of the one of the girls that I'll I'll remain close to for a long time
1: I've got a feeling this might be a repeat answer but who is your funniest teammate or, or serial prankster
0: <laughs> well I'd have to say her but um, Look, who's another prankster out there? Chelsea Randall's a bit of a prankster. She um she likes to be a bit of a character and and do some funny things at times, and um, which is really good as as a captain of our club. She's she's truly amazing, and uh, the way she managed her her knee re- rehab and stay positive throughout that um you know obviously she's in in such a significant injury. You have your, your highs and lows. but the way she gets around people and and continues to play jokes on them is um is
1: pretty funny and our final question before we let you go as we ask everyone who's played at the uh, top level what does it mean to you when you sit down at your computer you type into google your name and the first thing that pops up is a wikipedia page and it says courtney <laughs> cramey aflw football
0: we don't do that do we no i've um, i've never googled myself um I got told the other day that there's a couple of uh, dates incorrect, and I asked who I have to call to, to work out how to fix that. But no, it's um it's been a privilege and an honour, um you know, having the opportunity in my time, in my career as a footballer to to be exposed and to the to the elite level and and the people that I've met along the way and the journey of of AFLW the AFL before AFLW as well. So yeah, it's been an unreal ride.
1: Well, Courtney, thank you very much for joining us here at the Women's Strand Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. You've been a credit to women's football over your two-decade career. We wish you all the very best in retirement, and who knows, we may see you one day back at the AFLW level, but in the coach's box.
0: Thanks, Peter. Ta. We are the
1: Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. This is the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. And thanks again to Courtney Cramey for her time and looking back over her fantastic women's footy career in South Australia and on the national stage in the AFLW. It's time now for a scoreboard check from around the state leagues. <laughs> We begin in Western Australia with the WAFL women's competition round two played over the weekend. And sadly for South Fremantle, they're yet to hit the scoreboard in 2020 again. They failed to score in a match when Peel Thunder racked up 9 10 64 against them. Claremont 8 8 56 defeated Swan Districts 5 5 35. And East Fremantle 1 2 8 went down to Subiaco 4 5 29. Round three action is this weekend on Saturday, August 1st. Swan Districts versus Subiaco, 3.10pm at Still Blue Oval. While Twilight game at 5.10pm, David Gray's Arena will see Peel Thunder versus East Fremantle. While on the Sunday, South Fremantle play host to Claremont, 2pm at Fremantle Community Bank Oval. I should mention the Swan Districts versus Subiaco clash will also be the live stream game. To round nine of the Sanford women's competition, Central District 2 8 20 went down to South Adelaide, 9 5 59. North Adelaide, keep on ruling, 13 10, 88 Thumping stirred just the six behind. Norwood, 4 9 defeated West Adelaide, 3-4-22. And Glenelg, 7 5 defeated Woodrow West Torrens, one to eight let's have a look at the round 10 fixture the final home and away round of the sand women's season which obviously had an interruption due to the coronavirus. west adelaide play host to south adelaide on saturday at high sense stadium and at peter motley oval it's sturt versus the eagles and in a double header at cooper stadium norwood versus glenelg and north adelaide versus central district To the Tasmanian State League women's competition, round two played over the weekend. Clarence, 8-4-52, defeated Glenorchy, 2-8-20, while the Tigers just racked up the one behind going down to Launceston, a very accurate 12 straight, 72. Round three football is this Saturday, 1st of August for both games, 4pm at Twin Ovals, the Tigers versus Glenorchy, while at 4.30pm at UTAS Stadium, North Launceston versus Clarence, Launceston with the bye. To the AFL Sydney women's Premier Division, round two results. UTS 2 13 went down to Pennant Hills 7446. 4 46 Inner West Magpies 4 29 defeated North Shore 3 22 Southern Power, just the seven behind, going down to Manly Warringah 3 23 And the East Coast Eagles 10-11-71 thumped. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs no score. And Sydney University 5 35 defeated Macquarie University one Two eight. To round three action. All games being played on Saturday, first of August, kicking the jaw off the grass at eleven AM at David Phillips South Oval, UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs versus the Pennant Hills Demons. 120 p.m. at Sydney Uni, number one Oval, Sydney Uni versus UTS. 430 p.m. at Weldon Oval. Manly Warringah versus Inner West Magpies 5:30 p.m. at Waratah Oval. Southern Power versus the North Shore Bombers, and at 5:40 p.m. at Macquarie University, it's the Warriors playing host to the East Coast Eagles. Up north to the QAFLW competition, and around six action played over the weekend. Wilston Grange 3321 went down to Yoronga South Brisbane in a thriller 3422. UQ Red Line 6743 defeated 4 1410. Cooper were 139 were defeated by Bond University 4630 and top of the table Marichi Door 2517 were defeated by Cullinaga Tweed 3-4-22. Looking ahead to Round 7 Football, all games on Saturday 1st of August. 3 p.m. at Cullingatta Tweed. They're playing host to Wilston Grange. 3.30 p.m. at Bond University. The Bullsharks are playing host to Maroochydore. 4 p.m. at Graham Road. Apsley play host to Yoronga, South Brisbane. And at 4.45 p.m. at UQ, Oval number no. 2, the Red Lions play host to Cooperoo. And that's your scoreboard check from around the state leagues. Once again, thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. The format's slightly different from the uh, last few weeks as we are not on RSN Carnival this week due to their coverage of the Magic Millions. That will apply again next week. We will be back on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne 6pm Wednesday, August 12th. We will have another podcast for you next week at an earlier time of 3pm on Wednesday. It will be available. And again, just go to the usual places. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, the iHeartRadio website and app Deezer or at warfradio.com or just Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast to be able to find us and download the latest edition. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just put a slash and then W-A-R-F Radio and you'll be able to find us i'm peter holden thanks so much for your company and i look forward to speaking to you again next week